Christmas Eve, Eve to y'all, and it, it feels so surreal for those words to be coming out of my mouth, because it does not seem like it was four weeks ago when we started this series. We intentionally put the series on our calendars because this time goes so fast, that usually this time of year, it just flies by, and so we're like, okay, this year, let's not just let it fly by, let's pause, let's really soak in the wonder of this season. It is so hard to savor the season when this season feels so much more like a drive-through than a dine-in experience, doesn't it? It just goes so fast, and it certainly happened again this year. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is slow things down now for the next few minutes, and let's press into the wonder specifically that surrounds gifts. Let's do that. Let's talk about gifts. Have you ever had one of those moments when you thought, This gift could be the one. This could be the one I was hoping for. You see the package, and it looks like it's the right size. And then they hand you the package, and you say, this feels like the right weight. And then you start opening up that package. And as you're opening it up, you go, oh, it says Star Wars. Or it says Tickle Me Elmo. Remember those, some of you guys? Tickle Me Elmo. It says that, or it says Cabbage Patch Doll, or it says American Girl, or Apple, or Samsung, or Xbox. And your eyes light up because you'd say, this is it. This is the one. This was the gift that I was waiting for. And your heart beats faster because you realize, ha it's here. As I was thinking about that, and I was reliving my own childhood and opening up certain gifts, and I, and I reflect on that, I think the only thing that is greater than receiving that perfect gift is giving that perfect gift. Can I get an amen to that? When you've got the gift that you know that that person, because you know them, you know that person is just going to love it. There's nothing like giving that, that perfect gift. And one of Laura and I, our favorite memories of all time was the Christmas we gave puppies, plural, to our two girls. That was so awesome. You know, picture this. Grandma and grandpa take our two kids. They were six and four. You talk about a puppy age. It's horrible for the puppies, but great for the kids, right? You know? So we sent them on the scavenger hunt, and they go out, and then they come back, and the scavenger hunt ends at the Christmas tree where there's this big box waiting. And just on cue, like the, like the snow coming down today, just on cue, they get close to that, that box, and the box barks. <laughs> it was so awesome. So awesome. And that moment that Emma and Andra opened that box, and they met Buddy and Buster for the first time, man. It's a great memory. Great memory. Well, great gifts come in many forms. Last week, Jason shared the story about a song, the backstory behind a song that was written by this culture-shaping author. So we introduced you to this guy if you didn't know him last week. His name is Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. This is the man that is the creative force behind the song that we pressed into last week. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It is so rich. Those lyrics are so rich. Here's just one of the verses. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the houses born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That song was a gift. That song was a gift. Well, this week, as we press into the wonder of the greatest gift that could ever be given or received, I want to introduce you to the creative force behind another inspired song. 
In 2018, we mourned the loss of this man. Any of you recognize him? Stan Lee. Stan Lee. He created a marvelous universe that inspired songs like this. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size. Catches thieves just like flies. Look out. Here comes the Spider-Man. If those lyrics don't move you, I just... I don't know what else I can do. I don't know what I can do. Now, here's where I want to take all this. Here's where I want to take all this morning. We've got some kids in here with us. Maybe you can recognize some of these characters here. Where I want to take this is to this place where in the latest Marvel movies, a character named Tony Stark, um, he is a superhero. And what is Tony Stark's superhero? It is Iron Man. Very good. So I think we got a picture of Iron Man. If we can put him up on this slide somewhere. We got our Iron Man. He's coming. There. No, there he is. All right, keep Spider-Man there. Iron Man's over here. And I want these both up here because, because Tony Stark is a superhero Iron Man. Well, he begins to take in another superhero under his wing. And that is Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. In this movie, he takes him in. In the Marvel Universe, Peter Parker had lost his father. And Peter Parker was growing up very, very poor. In fact, his original Spidey suit wasn't much more than a hoodie and some goggles. And Tony Stark welcomed Peter Parker into the Avengers family. And he mentored him and he coached him. And he gifted him with amazing new gear. So here's the question when it comes to gifts. What does a kid like Peter Parker give to a billionaire like Tony Stark? Somebody who could afford to buy anything that can be bought. What do you give to a guy like that? All right, let's level this up even further. We got another picture. Anyone recognize this guy? Who's that? That's Thanos. Thanos. Now, with his special glove, Thanos can do almost anything. People refer to his power as God-like. God-like. Well, what do you give someone who's got God-like powers? What do you give that person? They can snap their finger and they can make just about anything. Well, today we're not going to stop with God-like, are we? We're going right to God. Here's a question that we're going to wrestle with today. There's a place to write this in your notes if you'd like. What gift can you give to the source of all good things? What can you give to the one who's the source of all good things? Anything material that you can give him, anything creative you can come up with, it is all ultimately a gift that was given to us. What do you give? To the source of all good things. Well, with the time that we've got to set aside this morning, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to reflect on this wondrous gift that he gave to us. And then number two, we're going to consider what is the best possible gift that we could give in return. So let's begin by looking at the gift he gave us. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 2, verse 33. Now, if you haven't been here for this series, this is the book we've been in. We've been in this book of Luke, and we've been focusing really mostly on chapter 1 on the opening of this. So here's, uh, here's some of what it says. Oh, before I do that too, I also want to let you know, if you don't have a Bible home, we'd love to give you one free today as a gift. We keep them at that table there in the back. We encourage you to take one on your way out as a gift to you. All right, here's one of the things it says about Jesus and, and everything surrounding him in Luke 2.33. Luke chapter 2, verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. They marveled. 
Now, I, I point to that one because this is one of the verses we started with four weeks ago, which does not seem like four weeks ago. And we looked at how that word marvel is used over and over and over again surrounding Jesus, not just at his birth, but as he grew up. Words like marvel, wonder, amazement. These are the kind of words that, that are used to describe Jesus and all the things that were happening around him. All of history had been leading up to this moment. And Jesus revealed that this was true, that everything was leading up to this moment, when he appeared to his disciples way towards the end. In the very last chapter of Luke, we find this. After his death, after his resurrection, he was talking to his disciples. In Luke 24, 27, he says, it says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning whom? Himself. He says, look back at these scriptures. I was there, I was there, I was there, I was there. This testifies about me. And next Christmas, I'm already excited for next Christmas because we're going to press into the book of Isaiah and some of these prophecies that were said about that Messiah. We'll be digging into those. And what was so funny is I've been thinking about the prophecies and I've been thinking about how hard it is for me to keep secrets about gifts. As a father, I'm like, well, maybe that's kind of like God because isn't it that he had this greatest gift of all time coming? And it's like he can't keep it a secret. He had to let the word out through these prophets. At least that's how I justify it. Maybe in my head when I want to let things slip. Our world had never experienced an event like this before. Each Christmas, we commemorate the night that the Son of God finally arrived. And two of you recommended a book called The Rock, The Road, and The Rabbi. I listed it in your notes under recommended resources. There's some great stuff about backstory behind Nazareth and Bethlehem and all this. Uh, it's a great, great book. Well, here's what it says a little bit about, about Jesus and the whole idea of how everything in the Bible points towards Jesus. Jesus' statement on the road to Emmaus, the one that we just read, it's very similar to one that was made by rabbis who state in the Talmud, the prophets prophesied only of the days of who? The Messiah. All of Scripture is meant to point to the Messiah in some way. For example... As Rabbi Jason explained to me, the first letter of Genesis is the Hebrew letter bet. The last word of the book of Revelation is the Hebrew word amen, which ends in the letter none. The first and last letters of the Bible spell the Hebrew word ben, which means what? Son. Son. From the very first to the very last letter, everything in the Bible points to the son. It was a real touching thing on the last funeral that I, I went to. The pastor was sharing of, um, of what this wonderful godly woman wanted said at her funeral. She said, tell him about Jesus. Tell him about Jesus. Among the countless things that were revealed to us about God when Jesus walked the earth was the remarkable nature of that relationship between father and son. We learned so much about that relationship, father and son. God revealed himself as father in the Old Testament, but it wasn't until Jesus where we started to really grasp what that could look like, not just for the, him, but for us. The book of Luke is filled with references like this one that we find here in Luke 3.22. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. God had revealed himself as father again in the Old Testament, but what a gift it is that God gave us through Jesus, that vivid picture of what it means to know God as father. Well, here's just one of those things. 
We know that good fathers love to give good gifts to their kids. I want to encourage you to write this down. Good fathers love to give good gifts to their kids. We find this in Luke. There's so much about Jesus in Luke. Luke 11, 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How many of you like to receive good gifts? Jesus the Son reveals that God the Father loves to give good gifts. And here's the thing about giving good gifts. Great gift-giving begins with knowing the person that you're giving the gift to. Isn't that true? It's very hard to give the good gift unless you know that person really, really well. I came across this great true story. This is a true story as I was preparing for this series. A pediatric unit in Scotland made a commitment to care for each child as an individual. And one of the ways that they were going to do this is every time a kid would come into their hospital, they would give them a, a piece of construction paper and markers and crayons and they said, take this piece of paper and tell us about you. Up at the top, it said, what, something about me, things about me or something like that. And so they wanted every kid to fill that out so that they could give that kid a unique, one-of-a-kind experience as an individual. Wonderful idea. Well, one of those kids was a seven-year-old girl named Kendra. And Kendra had autism. She wasn't able to speak. But with the help of her father, she was able to put words and pictures on the paper that described her. And here is some of what Kendra described about herself. She says on that piece of paper, my name is Kendra. I am seven. I love noise toys. I have autism. I can't speak. So I won't be able to if it hurts. I don't like medicine by mouth. So watch out. I'll struggle. I can't have grapes. These are, this is her spelling because it makes me blotchy. My name is Kendra. I will bang my head and bite my hand if I'm frustrated. Then she put a little sad face after that. I love to feel people's hair. It's my way of saying hello. And she put a happy face. She goes, I can do this. And she made a little high five picture. My name is Kendra. I'm very fast. I can make a run for it. Ha, ha, ha. Sometimes my hair gets tangled. My dad is rubbish at doing my hair and needs a lot of help. Any other dads need a lot of help? Need a lot of help. And then her last one, I love cuddles to reassure me. All right, now listen to this. Within 24 hours of Kendra coming into that hospital, that pediatric hospital, her dad had a heart attack. So he is at that hospital, has a heart attack. He gets rushed to another hospital. Kendra is a patient at this hospital. She can't leave this hospital. And her dad is gone at this other hospital. So there she is. She's alone. She's confused. She's scared. She can't speak for herself. Can you imagine what would have happened if that hospital didn't know Kendra? Not know kids. Kendra, if they didn't know Kendra. And she couldn't answer their questions. And she couldn't take their medicine or wouldn't take it. And she would grab at their hair. And she would try to run away. But the, the staff knew Kendra. And they were able to care for Kendra in ways that Kendra needed. They avoided oral medications whenever possible. They high-fived her. They let her feel their hair. They combed hers. And when her father recovered, he recovered, and rejoined Kendra a few days later, Kendra was doing just fine. 
Exactly. What if the Christmas story is true? And what if there's a God who doesn't just know us as humanity? What if there's a God who knows you? What if there's a God who knows you? That baby that grew up, he revealed things about the Father like this. This is also from the book of Luke. Luke 12, verse 7. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. He knows us better than we know ourselves. What if there's a God who really does exist in three persons? Father, Son, and Spirit. A Father who knows our hopes and He knows our dreams. What if there's a Son who knows what it's like to feel temptation and to feel pain? Who's experienced what it's like to be rejected and lonely and betrayed? A Son who knows what it's like to lose His Father Joseph. Who knows what it's like to have friends turn on you. And what about a spirit? God, the spirit who knows us so well, the word says he can intercede for us in words that we can't even understand. And what if this same God who sees all and knows all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what if this God desires to give good gifts to his children? God is more, Christmas is more than a reminder that God understands. Christmas is a reminder that God cares, that he cares he cares enough to enter into our world, to walk among us, and then he demonstrated the full extent of his love by paying that ultimate price on the cross. So what do you give? What do you give to someone like that? To the one whom we owe a debt that we can't pay, the one who gave us the very air we breathe and even designed our lungs that breathe it? I've been wrestling with this question for a lot of weeks, and there's probably many different ways to answer this, but here's where I landed. The best gift that we can give to the source of all things is to receive the gift that he gave us. Now, there's other ways you could answer this, but that's where I landed. The best gift that we can give to him, the source of all good things, is to receive that gift that he gave us. And when I think about that, I can think of examples all around me. When Laura and I gave our girls those puppies, there was no greater gift that they could have given us in return than to just love those dogs and to feed them every once in a while, Laura said. <laughs> and light bulbs started going off. You know, I gave you that example earlier of Peter Parker and Tony Stark. What is the best gift that Peter Parker could have given Tony Stark? To say yes. To say yes to the mentoring, to say yes to the coaching, to say yes, receive that cool gear. Yes, join the Avengers family. If Christmas revealed anything, it revealed the fact that we've got a good father who loves to give good gifts. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And what does the word say about the Holy Spirit? This, we're going to jump out of Luke just once here. Take a look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the, received the spirit of what? Spirit of adoption. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. That is the gift he's given us. That is the spirit he was given to us. Two of my sisters were born in Korea. I don't often speak for my parents. I can speak for my parents in this. The greatest gift they could give in return is to say, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. 
That is the greatest gift they could give. Nothing even comes close. I want to encourage you to write this down if you haven't put this blank filled already. Adoption can bring joy to both parent and child. It can bring joy to both parent and child. It can also bring heartache, can it? But it can bring joy to parent and child. This Christmas, God is offering us a gift. He's inviting us to become his sons and daughters. For those who feel weak and heavy laden, he says, come to me and find rest. For those who are filled with fear and anxiety, he invites us to cast our cares upon him. For those who are broken, he offers real hope. Real hope. For those who are lost, he offers to show us the way home. Which then begs this question, what if anything is keeping you from becoming a son or daughter of God? What would keep you from that, from saying yes? For some of you, it's questions. Fair enough. That, that's one of the things that kept me from crossing that line of faith when I was younger. I had so many questions. How could he even be real if, if, if? If that's you, we would love to help with that. We'd love to help with that. Check with myself, Caitlin, after the service. We'd love to point you to resources. We're offering an experience called Alpha. It's coming up soon, I think early this spring. We'd encourage you to give that a try. We'd love to help you. If questions is what's keeping you from saying yes to that invitation to be a son or daughter, we'd love to help with that. Well, maybe it's not questions that's keeping you from saying yes. For some of us, it's more, hey, those family rules. Can't say yes to that. Can't say yes to that. Because saying yes to God means saying no to other things that I don't want to say no to. It took me a long time to realize what a gift it is to come under his guidance. I fought against that. I still fight against that a lot. It's taken me a long time to recognize this is a gift to come under the guidance of a good and loving father. The one who has numbered the hairs on our head, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And when he says no, as I say very often here, when he says no, it's because he's got a better yes. I was reminded of that. On uh, Saturday, our family went down to, last Saturday, our family went down to see a lights display down at the Minneapolis Arboretum. And one of the sections they had there was this farm. They had this farm that was all lit up. And as part of that farm, they had the windmill, this big windmill. So now as an adult, I go, and we had a windmill on our little family farm. And I go and I stand and I look up at that windmill. And I remember we used to play one of our games when we were kids was tag on the windmill. I know. Tag on the windmill. Yeah, yeah. And my family's heard that story like a million times, but you may not know this story. Laura might not know this one. Here's a story. This is embarrassing. When I was nine, do you know what I wanted for Christmas? Here it comes. I wanted this for Christmas. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I wanted... Saturday Night Fever album for Christmas. I bet I'm turning red right now. How many of you know that a loving father would not sanction a game of tag on the windmill? How many of you know that? All right. How many of you know that no good father would ever let their kid listen to disco? All right. (laughs) Yes. Keep your kids away from disco. I'm just saying. Woo. It is easy to forget that a loving father puts boundaries and guardrails in place for a reason. They're a good thing. When you're a kid, you think foolish thoughts like disco is good and 
You should wear a white suit and all these things. Well, this month, I came across one of the most ironic articles I've ever seen in a long time that really speaks to this. Sometimes people think, oh, if only I could just have my own way. If only I didn't have rules, life would be so much better. Check this out. Real article, revelantmagazine.com. Christmas is a stressful holiday for all of us. Some of us are worried about getting the perfect, the perfect Christmas gift for someone special. And some of us are worried about our satanic Christmas ornaments getting stolen from our satanic Christmas tree. This comes from the Bay Area, where there's a gigantic or a giant Christmas in the Park attraction featuring hundreds of Christmas trees. Among those trees is one sponsored by the satanic Bay Area. It's kind of ironic that there's a satanic Christmas tree just in general. Rory Froy, an astute visitor to Christmas the Park, told local reporters. Their tree originally had about 140 ornaments, but they're quickly running out because sticky-fingered troublemakers keep stealing them. Local news says that the Bay Area Satanists are pleading with people (laughs) to stop stealing their ornaments. (laughs) This, we should note, would be the kind of time when it would be really useful to have some kind of rule about stealing on the books. Maybe, and we're just spitballing here, some sort of commandment (laughs) or something. When I was a youth director in Minnesota, in southwest Minnesota, a number of our teens were in this area were exploring Satanism. So I did what any good youth director would do. I bought the Satanic Bible, and I read it. And I was surprised by what I read. I was expecting this book of spells and all this kind of stuff, how to worship Satan. It wasn't about that. It's about putting yourself at the center of the universe. That's how the high priest of the Satanic chapter understood it. That Satanism at its its essence is putting yourself at the center of the universe. Number one holiday of Satanists, your birthday. Your birthday. The older I get, the more I study and observe people, the more I see that putting yourself at the center of the universe never ends well for anyone. Never ends well for anyone. And if you choose to do that, if you choose to put yourself at the center of the universe then you got nothing to say when someone steals the ornaments on your Christmas tree, right? Because aren't they just doing what seems right to them? Satanists, if they're going to be consistent, they should applaud thieves because our source material for the devil comes from the Bible. And in John 10.10, it describes him as a thief who comes to steal. So don't get mad if others do the same. Well, this Christmas, we want to invite you to place your trust in someone who's very, very different than the father of lies. To place your trust in one who knows us better than we know ourselves. Let's look at one last passage here before we bring this to a close. This one's a little bit longer than the other one we looked at here. It's that one verse one. This is out of Luke chapter 5. Starting with verse 1, we'll read 1 through 11. Let's take a look at this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by a lake, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, also known as Peter, put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And they also were, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. In a moment that would have left Aquaman in awe, Jesus performed a miracle. I looked at six or seven different commentaries on this. Every one of them said, in that place, at that time, with that equipment they were using, this was a miracle. This does not happen, what you just saw there. Most Americans, if they were in that boat and that happened to them, they'd look at this miraculous catch of fish and they'd say, I want salmon. Right? Isn't that what most Americans would do? Peter, he recognized there's something greater going on here than Jesus getting me fish. There's something greater going on here. Peter recognized he was in the presence of the one who was greater than he, and right there, knee-deep in fish, he fell before the Son of God and acknowledged he didn't deserve anything that God had to offer. And right there, knee-deep in fish, Jesus met him. Think about that for a minute. This is a God, the one that we're coming here to talk about, to learn about, to celebrate. He came as a baby in a manger. This same God, what did he do? He meets a fisherman knee-deep in fish. How cool is that God? who meets us in the messiness of life. He comes down and meets us. And right there, knee deep in the fish, Jesus invites Peter into this story. A story that is worth leaving everything, everything to become part of. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Words that would be repeated again during storms and on the eve of his own betrayal. Boy, and don't we need to hear that so often? Don't be afraid. Be afraid. I have plans for you. I mentioned a couple things that keep people from saying yes to the gift that God offers, the gift of adoption into his family. For some, it's questions. For others, it's the boundaries that God puts in place. For others, it's fear or it's shame. What about the things I've done? Well, in the very next section of Scripture, we'd read it if we had time. Go ahead and do it on your own. In the very next section of Scripture, there's a person who's unclean. He comes to Jesus says, if you're willing... You can make me clean. And what does Jesus say? He says, I'm willing. I'm willing. And if you keep reading from there in Luke, you come to Luke 15. Luke 15. Three times in a row, something of great value is lost. Three times in a row, that something is searched for. Something, three times in a row, that something is found. And three times in a row, there's a celebration. And in that third time, the one celebrating is our good father who welcomes his child home. 
God sees you. God knows you. And God would love nothing more than for you to receive that gift. That gift of becoming his son, his daughter. For the first time, or maybe for the first time again. There's no greater gift that we can receive. There is no greater gift that we could give. And so I want to invite you to come back tonight. Because we're going to take a moment tonight. We're going to open that gift together. How beautiful is that going to be? And before we do that, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the wrapping that it came in. I'm really excited to share that with you. Well, let's invite the worship band to come on up and close us with just a fun song that celebrates that glorious night. Let me pray as we do. Father, I want to pray right now. I mean, we don't have to come back tonight to receive that gift. So right here, right now, if somebody is ready, Father, we pray that they could yield themselves to you, that they could recognize through the work of your Holy Spirit that you are who you say you are, that you have our best in our best life in mind when you invite us to come to you, that we would humble ourselves, place our trust in you as a father, come under your guidance, receive that forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, we pray for those that need to hear this message tonight, that they would join us and they would experience the wonder of that moment when your Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Help us now, Lord, to celebrate you and to celebrate that moment that all history was waiting for. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.